For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired on Saturday, January 28, 2017. This is Money Talks. Good morning, good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon here with Jennifer Thomas, two weeks in a row. That's right. As well as Jarrett McKenzie, both are... Certified financial planners, both work in our planning and implementation department. Jennifer actually is the the, the boss of the, That's of the right. group. So boss uh, lady. Jared, make sure you're on your your uh, best behavior. <laughs> I'm watching you, Jared. She sits right next to me, so I gotta always I gotta stay <laughs> yeah. on top of my game. Ever present, <laughs> yes, uh, the force in your life. That's right. Uh, all right, guys. So. Uh, Anything crazy happen in the market? Maybe a Dow twenty thousand? Mm, maybe so. A big yeah. day. Yeah, I tell you what, it was. Uh, I, I really had expected that to hit in the fall, mm-hmm. and uh, then we saw, you know, for whatever reason, uh, market conditions did not push uh, the Dow over twenty thousand. But uh, earnings season seems to have done just exactly that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, um, you know, while a lot of folks have credited our new president with a lot of things, I really think that the the piece that took to get uh, the Dow over 20,000 was some positive earnings. And don't you see a lot of times in the market where there's that ceiling and and the the market will, you know, what for whatever reason like it's the 20,000 number and everybody starts talking about that that number and it will get close to it mm-hmm. and then it'll go back down and right. it'll get close, but then once it kind of breaks through that, you'll see an upturn. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall in overall. the market. Right? Yeah, no uh, no doubt. Uh so we usually use a different measure for the S&P or uh, for the financial markets, right. which is the S&P 500. It's 500. Well, the Dow is such a narrow. Different. It is. It's only 30 stocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's different. Um, you know, it really has minimal reasoning. And I've got a, a, a question from a from a listener this week that I'll I'll address some of this in. But it's uh, it's different. It's a the Dow is a price weighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, index, whereas the S&P 500 is market cap weighted. And if you don't understand what that means, the market cap is basically the price times the number of shares. So it's the, the actual uh, economic size of the company instead of just the price. I mean, you know, if, that, mm-hmm. if it was going to be uh, based on price, wouldn't uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway be the absolute overall king? And right. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he talks about that openly, why the price of his stock is so high, it's because he never splits. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of these companies uh, work off of the notion that uh, there's a reasonable price for a stock that an investor can afford, but in reality, does it matter? It does. I mean, 
now I'm showing my age, but back long ago, if you bought less than a round lot, which is a hundred shares, shares, there right. used to be a, you know, penalty or a fee to do that. Right. Now there's not really that. So it doesn't really matter if you buy five shares of a more expensive stock versus 500 shares of a low price stock. Right. Yeah. Unless you get to a, a Berkshire Hathaway size. And then right. Maybe your whole portfolio could own one share. Right. Of this stock. <laughs> That's right. So it does make a difference there. Yeah. But uh, otherwise. But, you know, you, know, you, you, you look at Apple. Apple was very highly priced and it had a what was it? A seven for one split. It did. Yeah. Yeah. And brought uh, it down to a, a price that more for what was it, right. 70 bucks mm-hmm. or something, I think. Um, yeah, so. Um, I think we, it's also just, you know, some of it's mental. You know, oh, I, I can't I'll afford be. to buy that. That's right. way too expensive. Right. It doesn't really. Yeah, I, I only make investments in stocks that are $10 or less. Well, <laughs> yeah. how much do you put in? 100 bucks. Well, why couldn't you buy one share of $100? Yeah. I don't get it. It's funny if some people don't realize that can be actually more expensive than the $100 stock. Absolutely, but right. That's that's a great point, Jared. Right. In fact, it's one that I wanted to make. You know what? You know, doubt twenty thousand. What does that mm-hmm. mean? It's just really a price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You look at that price relative to the earnings, and as I said, earnings actually are what drove uh, drove mm-hmm. the the latest news has been the earnings. So it mm-hmm. drove us uh, above the twenty thousand. Uh, let's do get into the numbers. Uh, S and P five hundred year to date, just since uh, December thirtieth, we're up. 2.67%. Materials are leading the way. The materials sector at 6.5%. Uh, information technology's done well, 5.6%. That's uh, as of Thursday when we record this show. Uh, consumer discretionaries are up almost 5%. And then uh, on the other end, we got telecom lagging. Uh, energy and utilities, all negative. And it's probably because interest rate pressures. Uh, you know, there's still uh, quite a bit of news um, that we probably will not see another interest rate increase until maybe June 2017. The Federal Reserve told us three, uh, expect three rate increases in 2017. But wouldn't you think with the market doing what it is, it's really the market takes its cues from the economy. Economic news is pretty decent. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so, you know, the, the hotter the economy gets, the more you see inflation. We saw CPI last uh uh, at last report was 2.1%, slightly higher than the Fed's target rate of 2%. Uh, of course, the CPI is not exactly what they use. They use a PCE deflator, which is tied to GDP in their reporting. But uh, all things considered, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some higher rates in 2017. Um, after, uh, after you look at just the, the year to date, which is uh, less than a month still, uh, you look at last week, market's up 1.11% according to S&P 500. Materials, which also led the way in the year, not surprising, 3.5% higher this week. Telecom down 2.5%. Uh, basically, these numbers on the weekly side almost match uh, what we've seen year yeah. to date, which is only like three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all things considered, we had... Uh, uh, 148 of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 have reported their fourth quarter fiscal, uh, well, I guess it's physical because it varies on fiscal, whether or not the company, how they they call their end of year. But uh, sales growth, 2.41% for the overall group. Earnings growth, 4.94% uh, after 148 companies have reported uh, sales surprise, 039 Earnings surprise 3.32%. So we're doing better than analysts had expected. 
uh, and our growth is uh, 2.4%. Not too bad on the top line, uh, 4.94 on earnings. Uh, all pretty good numbers. Um, looking for weak spots, energy still showing uh, sales growth negative 14.25, earnings growth negative 68.48 relative to this um, the fourth quarter of uh, uh, this would have been 2015. So um, still hasn't fully recovered back to, to where we were then. Um, if you look at the strength healthcare, which has been more or less the dog it was, uh, you know, in 2016 anyway, um, healthcare has seen uh, sales grow 6.5%. Earnings have grown 18.32%. That's after 13, about 25% of the 13 of 60 companies, about 25% of the total uh, S&P 500 healthcare companies have uh, have reported. So, um, kind of gives us a, a little bit of a backdrop of what we're seeing in the market um, overall uh, in the last few days, weeks. Dow 20,000. There's your big news, right? Mm-hmm. So we're almost a third of the way there with the S&P, as you were just talking about. I mean, is it, it's been mostly positive thus far. Do you think the the remaining or, or the rest of the season is? stands to do as well? I mean, what's yeah, the expectation? Usually by now, you know, you get that far in, you get kind of the tenor of what you're going to have. Uh, I wouldn't expect huge uh, changes from where we are. Uh, you're, you're getting a pretty good cross-section of all the, the industry sectors. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to have uh, you're going to have some outliers here and there. It's one yeah. of the reasons we say diversify your portfolio. Uh, you don't want that specific company risk. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at least you don't want it to totally rule your your uh, portfolio, um, but all things considered, it looks like we're we're in for a pretty decent earnings season. So the positivity thus far is not due to the fact that certain companies from specific sectors have been reporting. It's it's been pretty diverse, right? You know, yeah, with, with those widespread, yeah. right? Yeah, and That's like I say, healthcare one of the big leaders. Um, you, you see, materials prices have have uh, gone a bit higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I will touch on before we get into just a few uh, economic indicators, um, when you see the price, the, the uh, Dow, uh, if you look at it right now, uh, in its um, this is a price-to-earnings ratio, uh, 12-month trailing, so it's backward-looking. Uh, we're about 21.2% uh, expensive relative to its history. Uh, but if you look at the forward PE, which is the uh, its current price divided by uh, earnings expected in a year, uh, we're about 14.18%. So uh, it's not as expensive as it would look, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking backwards. Uh, we're expecting economic growth, and uh, and I truly believe that we're going to have uh, plenty to talk about in that uh, regard this year, 2017. Um, but uh if you look at uh, uh, the uh, forward looking again um, on the S&P 500, uh, this is rearward looking, sorry, 22.78. So uh, both are similar. It's about 14%, I think, uh, uh, overpriced if you look at the trailing. Um, yeah, so somewhat pricey, but still within reason. It's reasonable right, right. now, would you say? Yeah, exactly. It, you know, when you start hearing these market tops, you shouldn't, just absolutely lose your mind and think that uh, it's at a 52-week high. Is it time for me to sell? Well, the price doesn't matter without looking at it relative to something else. Sure. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Money Talks.
The story, the headline, is um, Democrats to give uh, to give uh, cabinet picks the Garland treatment. Uh, hmm. So um, it, it seems like politics as usual. Although uh, you know, politicians from both sides of the aisle were really not huge fans of Trump. Being an outsider, the first of, in the 240-year history of the country uh, to be elected without military or government experience. Um, first president to ever be elected. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're looking now. We're what a week into uh, into the uh, process. Yeah. Uh, having uh, having a new president, and we've got what four? I think we've got four of his cabinet nominees have been confirmed. Uh, if you you have to dig a little bit, but you're finding uh, some stories about the fact that by this time, uh, with uh, Barack Obama's uh, first inauguration. Uh, he had dozens of of his mm. people that were already in place and ready to go. So it seems that uh, the Democrats are are putting forth a tactic to slow down the first hundred days of the presidency. Um, and of course, you you got to think about history. So what's what's happening one direction or the other? It, it really does seem like uh, politics as usual. The the Democrats sure. are pointing the finger, saying, "Well." Look what uh, look what the Republicans did when we just tried to get uh, uh, our our um, uh, Supreme Court justice uh, mm-hmm. confirmed. Basically, they drug their feet until there was a, a um, right. uh, an election that we have now a new president. They didn't they weren't able to get uh, Garland put into the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, they're basically <laughs> saying that they're they're repaying the favor. Uh, but this is this is what we pay for. You think that's what's spurring some of these executive orders he seems so fond of so early well, on? Well, it's hard to say. I think you might have seen some of that anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really do believe that uh, with uh, uh, Tom Price being uh, held up in, in uh, uh, Congress at the moment in the Senate <clears throat> uh, without con- uh, confirmation, that uh, that has to be one of the reasons that we haven't seen more on the repeal of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I still don't believe that you'll see Obamacare totally repealed without a replacement, and uh, and it was Tom Price who's actually been pretty vocal for for quite a while now in talking about uh, better replacement options. So, um, I, I, it's to me, it's just really difficult to to sit by and watch all this stuff happen and how it happens. I, yeah. I guess uh, it depends on what side of the 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 uh, political aisle you would be on as to whether or not you like it. But, you know, some of this has actually been brought on by the fact that the Democrats in 2013 actually reversed. It used to be that you had to have 60 of the 100 votes available in the Senate in order for you to uh, to get your nominees passed. Well, they were getting roadblocks from the Republicans, so they just made it a, a simple majority. Mm-hmm. And now that's coming back to, to Biden because that's ultimately what they believe might happen is uh, once we get past this this early stage where any single voice in the Senate can throw out a roadblock and cause 30 hours of debate over uh, whether or not you can um, confirm a, a nominee. Once that gets passed, then you're going to have wholesale. <laughs> you're going to have wholesale <laughs> approvals, I believe. So, yeah. uh, I guess uh, 
again, you know, it depends on whether or not you think the policies we're about to get are good, bad, or indifferent as to whether or not you like this. Sure. Uh, we do have a few economic releases, the reports that we uh, didn't get to, and I did want to go back and pick some of those up. Uh, this week, existing home sales were announced, um, and this was uh, from the December month, uh, month of December. Total sales of uh, existing home sales uh, fell 2.8%, um, mainly due to a decline in condo and co-op sales. Um, Semi-booked a bill. This is a semiconductor's uh, orders versus the, the, uh, the amount that was shipped and billed uh, increased by 10 basis points, or 0.10%. Uh, uh, in, uh, in December, 1.06% or 1.06 rather, or one would be flat where you, you know the mm. uh, orders are equivalent to that the uh, shipments and sales. And what uh, does this ratio really get? I mean, I don't know. This is so, not something that I see on this all the time. It's, all right, it's, so semi-booked a bill. If you've got uh, the, the higher it is, the more, the more it is above one, obviously the more uh, the more orders you're taking that you can't quite fill. So you're probably right. running at capacity, and and uh, it's a sign of mm -hmm. growth. If it's mm -hmm. below one. Uh, then obviously it's a sign of contraction. So, so, so it's somewhat of a supply and demand measure. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's kind of an early indication of supply and demand in the semiconductor space, which, you know, semiconductors are in every piece of electronics that sure. any of us have. Uh, MBA mortgage applications uh, came out on Wednesday, uh, increased by 4%. This is the fourth week in a row. Uh, we had a slowdown around Christmas, which, you know, the holidays are quite often slow. Uh, but we're we're back on track. Uh, refinance index was up 0.2 percent, so that's much slower than the purchase index, which was six percent higher. Uh, and then we had uh, weekly jobless claims, um, where the four-week moving average fell by 2,000 to uh, 245,500. Very low uh, numbers in in uh, unemployment. So uh, most would agree that we're very close to uh, f full employment or long-term average. Uh, long-run employment. Uh, new home sales, we got a number there, too, uh, climbed in November up 5.2% from the revised October totals and 16.5% uh, from November. This is in uh, um, December, I guess. Or no, that's 16.5% higher from November 15, 2015. Uh, if you look, the median new uh, single-family home price was $305,400, up by 0.9% from October and uh, it's actually down from the previous November, 3.7%. Uh, interest rates all across the board were a little bit higher. The long end was higher by about twice as much as uh, uh, the short end. And by that, I mean 2.1 basis points, 0.021% uh, on the two-year to 1.242. Uh, Five-year was up 2.7 basis points. The 10-year was up 5.3. And uh, the 30-year was up 6.1 basis points, or 0.061%, to 3.1% total on a 30-year Treasury. So looks like uh, interest rates are yeah. moving a little bit higher, yeah, and, and right it's, it's pretty much across the board. Uh, curve did steepen slightly by, you know, two to three basis points, and if it did that every week, after a minute, you got uh, you got banks that are loving life. Uh, profitability yeah. is has uh, significantly increased. What does the yield curve look like these days? Have you looked at it lately? Uh, it, as far it? as well, I mean, this is probably your best indicator. 
usually we measure the two-year treasury versus the 10-year treasury at 1.24% on the two-year, uh, 2.527%. On the 10-year, we're, you know, 1.3% basically um, the spread between the two and the 10-year. Right. It, it's pretty healthy, and it has been getting a little bit steeper, which... Uh, well, so that spread is staying consistent, though. It's not starting to contract at all, or is it... No, no, no. We're not seeing any sort of a any right. sort of a flattening of the curve, is what I think you're talking about. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, it's always good for banks. Basically, banks right. borrow short-term, and they lend long-term. The piece that they lend is uh, is, is their profit less the, the expense, which is that short-term rate. So if you figure, you know, the steeper, the, the, the wider the gap between the two-year and the 10-year treasury, sure. the steeper we would call the yield curve. So that's what we've been seeing a little bit. Uh, it's, it's been going up across the board, but uh, just a slight steepening as we go. So uh, um, so the short-term rates aren't outpacing the long-term. They're, they're not. That's where I was getting at the contraction oh, in no, terms no. of. Yeah, the short when the short term's higher than the long term, that's what we would call an that's inverted, an inverted yeah. yield curve, and and that actually is a, a horrible sign. Usually, a, mm-hmm. a recession follows. We saw that actually happen back in August, I guess, of yeah. uh, 2006, and uh, by 2007 the market had topped, but it didn't do it right away. Like I say, that was in August of 06. Uh, well, we didn't see the market top until October of 07. And that's why I was asking because I know you'd think now with the market's doing really well and things are good and mm-hmm. while, while there's a lot of, of differences between now and 06, if we if we were starting to see changes there, that's what I was going to bring up is are, are we potentially headed somewhere with that starting to happen? Maybe it's not become inverted yet, but we're not starting to see a change in the trend that would indicate at least a movement in that direction. No, no, not at all. In fact, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. It's, uh, uh, it's one of the things we, we watch that very closely. We also watch inventory builds where, you know, companies have built out uh, uh, produced goods to be sold if they can't get them sold, and, and you start seeing a, 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 an increase in, uh, in inventories, then you start worrying a little bit. Sometimes you'll see an inventory increase uh Anticipating mm-hmm. economic growth, but uh, if if it got if it gets too crazy, then uh, we start start wondering what's um, you know what's coming next. But uh, to be honest with you, Jarrett, I don't see uh, signs of of a recession in the near term for sure. Uh, doesn't mean that something can't happen, but I sure. I do I do say that uh, uh, the market's gotten a little ahead of itself in pricing. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprised to me, and this happens quite often. You know, usually about three times in a on on average, you'll see a five percent decline in the market. Mm-hmm. About once a year, on average, you'll see a ten percent decline in the in and, the stock market. And those are expected, and they're needed. Absolutely, you yeah. know, yeah. keep it healthy. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not something that we mm-hmm. worry about at all. The economy ultimately makes the difference in in uh, what's going on in the stock market, and it looks healthy right now. So, um, you know, all things considered. We're looking all right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with a case study. When you have money, you start investing in your future. When you start investing in your future, you start worrying you'll make mistakes. Oops. When you start worrying you'll make mistakes, you can't sleep at night and watch infomercials. When you watch infomercials, you think you can get rich by placing tiny classified ads in newspapers. 
When you place tiny classified ads in newspapers, you subscribe to those papers to make sure your ad is running. When you subscribe to a bunch of newspapers, they pile up at your house, making it look like you're not home. When you look like you're not home, Girl Scouts don't come to your door. When Girl Scouts don't come to your door, you don't get to buy Girl Scout cookies. Don't miss out on Girl Scout cookies. Get rid of get-rich-quick schemes from infomercials and upgrade to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. No one should ever miss out on Girl Scout cookies. Absolutely not. <laughs> Troy knows that all too well, don't you? Well, are you, you saying were... that I eat too many Girl Scouts? <laughs> you're right I'm in the sure middle of it. I think it's that you have a Girl Scout in your house. That's right. I absolutely do, and it is the season where they're out there selling. So uh, be kind to your local Girl Scout and buy some cookies. Jennifer, it's a shame that you can't write off. I mean, it is a charitable organization. Uh-huh. It is a 5013C, yeah. C3, whatever mm-hmm. it is, 5013C. Yeah. Yeah, C3. C3, as I said. C3PO. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. That's right. And uh, it's a shame because you get the equivalent of what you give them, so Mm -hmm. you don't get the right stuff off. I can assure you I'd be buying a lot more if you got a a tax uh, deduction for it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm buying. I'm not sure that it's really giving. I'm just feeding meat. Yeah, I actually saw in the grocery store they now have Girl Scout cookie cereal. They do, and I think they have ice cream. they got all kinds of products. Oh, really? I saw that. Yeah, no doubt. Well, guys, we we have, uh, I guess, a... uh, a case that we wanted to talk about. Bill hates it when we call these things case studies, but hey, what is it? Uh, got a. Uh, we've we've changed all the names uh, to protect the innocent or guilty or however you want to look at it. Uh, but we've got Sean. He's divorced, 46 years old. Uh, got after-tax income of $320,000. Two children, eight and 12. He shares custody with his ex-wife, uh, and he's got a question. Basically, it comes down to. Uh, uh, I, I guess he came in for a review, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, brought his 401k statements, and he wanted right. to see, you know, how they fit into his financial plan. And Jared, if you want to sure. take it from there, absolutely. You know, while while this case does pertain to one person, we're starting to see this more commonly across the board because, you know, when we meet with clients, that's part of something that they bring us, right? They're going to bring in their statements and and we take a look at everything, make sure we're being comprehensive in our reviews. And we've been finding not not even more so lately. It's always been sort of an issue, but it seems to be more compounded as of late in that what we're finding is the 401k accounts, these qualified plans that clients have through their employer you know, typically the, the investments within the accounts are going to be limited to dividends and, and with, or excuse me, to mutual funds or, or right. ETFs. And those funds are paying a dividend that's typically reinvested. And so uh, you've got specific holdings within those accounts that are uh, growing because of that reinvestment. So while we might make a recommendation to a client based on what we believe their allocation in those accounts should be, that can easily become skewed due to the reinvestment of those dividends. And our stance really as a firm is that, you know, with with money we're managing, we would prefer not to reinvest the dividends, right? I mean, that's right. something we, because, because of that. Because then when reason. the dividends accumulate, you can pick and choose where you actually want exactly. to put the money. Right. But, I mean, you know, mutual funds, that's pretty much a characteristic of how they work, right. and especially in retirement plans. And a lot of people, especially with their 401ks, they kind of view it as a, set it and forget it yep. type investment. You know, they get a recommendation from their advisor and, you know, it might be that they say, you know, you need 60% in 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, large cap, 20% in mid cap, mm-hmm. and then 10% in small cap and 10% in inter- international. Yes. And so they go and invest it that way. But then, you know, maybe the small cap and the mid caps have a really good year where their dividends have you know, reinvested and they've grown and they've grown to be a larger percentage in that portfolio. And then Absolutely. all of a sudden it's not that. Yeah. So and at the you, time you have to rebalance basically exactly. what you're saying. And, and it is very common for small and mid cap companies to actually mm-hmm. outperform the, yeah. the large cap, but you have to pay attention. You don't want them to get too big because they also bring with them price volatility, right. which we generally characterize well, as risk. You know why this has become such a growing problem is because th- there's really not, ever been, at least to the extent we're seeing it today, and have begun to do it ourselves for our clients, an active managed 401, right? They're, they're, that is that is the piece that people, like you said, Jennifer, they, they will set it and forget it. Yeah. While this piece is being actively managed, the, the stuff that we're helping clients with, that's the piece that gets sort of forgot about because generally speaking, the average person is not going to go in and rebalance regularly. Right. And so it easily becomes out of balance because that's something, you know, between the dividends and between performance, I mean, let's say there were no dividends being reinvested, no dividends were being paid, it can still very easily become skewed just due to performance. I mean, last year, some of the small and mid-cap uh, ETFs that, that we saw and that we used had a very good year. If you think about how, how well that performance was, uh, over the course of the year, you could, if we were to only review a, a qualified plan like that annually, a client might very well come back to the table with us, and, and when we review it, the strategy we've been implementing all year is is in, you know, in line with with what we're we're wanting it to be, and then the 401k has gone off into the woods, so to speak. Yeah, last year's a, a good indication of exactly how that can happen. While the S&P 500 was up about 11.5%, mm-hmm. uh, the small cap index, the S&P 600, was up over 20%. So, it, sure. I mean, it, it doubled. It, it would have uh, doubled the performance of the large cap. Mm-hmm. And, and immediately, you know, a year in, you're, you're out of balance. Now, Jared, do you see administrators that allow for an automatic rebalance, or do you have to actually – in most instances, go in and physically do it yourself. There, there are some that will do it for you. And, you know, as long as your your strategy, your overall strategy, your big picture is staying, you know, relatively the same, that might work. But things are changing from time to time. We're rebalancing. We're reallocating, especially for, for our clients that we run financial plans for. Maybe that allocation looks differently from year to year. So while you could set a, a strategy in place for an automatic rebalance like what you're talking about, as your life changes and you have these life events that are going to dictate different allocations. Well, and if you're different. getting closer to retirement, then you might need to put more in fixed income. I right. mean, for what we're what we're doing now for a lot of clients is we are actually actively managing their 401k plans. So, you know, they provide us with their usernames and passwords. We go in there and we look at the accounts and we compare it to their financial plans and we reallocate mm-hmm. based on their overall situation and what we're doing for them. Um, you know, we right. don't typically charge as much because there, there are limited choices in there, sure. and it's not something that we're actually going out and picking the investments. We're just picking 
the best of the investments yes. that they have available to them. And right. ensuring that, that that strategy, that allocation is staying in line with mm-hmm. the other actively managed accounts that we have through the custodians that we use. And, and, and she's right. And what that looks like is, you know, that the username and password that's provided to us goes into a secure system we use called LastPass. And it's, it's a way right. of us protecting their information so that it's not easily available to just, you know, all the employees. Right. You know, we basically, you know, it automatically takes exactly. care of that. And, and Logs so us right in. You know, no one, you know, no employee knows the right. username and password. And, and it's a monthly review process. You know, the first of each month we're, we're logging in to see, okay, have their investment options changed? Has their strategy in, in their managed accounts changed? Are their reinvestment of dividends and things like that that are causing the allocation that we recommended to them to become out of whack? Because... That's the thing. While while a recommendation by us one day can be very appropriate, six months goes by and you revisit it and it looks very differently. And and, and typically the responsibility of that is on the client. Right. And 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 that's why you know it's it's something that we started doing because the clients were coming to us and and saying that there was a need for that. They were worried. In addition to us seeing that hey this is becoming skewed and is is not what we're doing over here with the managed accounts. It's starting to look differently because of these different factors. It's something that we needed to address. Well, and I also think with, you know, a lot of the new fiduciary regulations that are coming down, you're not going to see advisors advising on how to invest those retirement plans without some sure. type of contract in place. Right, because that, I mean, making those kind of recommendations to some degree makes us a fiduciary, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there should be some type of compensation for that if we're taking on that responsibility. And to Jennifer's point, it's at a much lower rate than what we would otherwise charge when we pick individual stocks with Troy's help, sure. uh, <laughs> things like that. And, and, you know, it seems to be something that... Uh, but, I mean, if you think about what a large portion of um, your typical client's wealth is tied up in their retirement plans, yeah, that's I, I mean, that's something that you need to really take care of, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to the other parts. Absolutely. Yeah. You say, uh, you know, we can we can pick a, pick their mutual funds. we got some pretty, option, pretty off, awesome options down in uh, uh, research that's that right. we can uh, show you all kind of. Uh, interesting pieces mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. your portfolio and, and how they they actually are uh, arranged and allocated and, and the, the kind of returns you might uh, see as well as the volatility, the change in price on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, we can help out in a lot of ways. There's also a few 401k plans, not many, but there are a few that occasionally that you can run into where they allow a client to do a self-directed portion. So they can put it, you know, if yeah. not all of it, they can put a self-directed portion, and then they can invest in whatever they want. Yeah, it gives them a lot more options yes. for investments. Yes. Well, guys, let's take a real quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. We'll give you some ways to contact us as soon as we get back. Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Jennifer Thomas and Jarrett McKenzie uh, answering your questions about uh, anything to do with finance. Uh, if you have questions, you can always reach us locally at 770-429-9166. Uh, you can talk to a human there. And if you uh, 
have a, a question you'd just like to leave on our answering machine, a voice Mm-hmm. Uh, a voice question. You can call one eight five five four two nine nine one six six, and uh, I am told that we can play your own voice over the air and uh, answer your question right behind it. So if uh, you ever wanted your fifteen seconds of fame, you give us a call and we'll <laughs> put you on the radio. One eight five five four two nine nine one six six is the number again. You can also email us at drgene at hensler dot com. That's H E N S S L E R. Com. If you need to get in touch with us any other way, you can Google Hensler, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R, and you should be able to find Hensler Financial. Um, so uh, send us your questions. We'd love to answer them. We have a question here from Stephen McGinnis who writes, My mortgage is a 30-year fixed at 3.625. That's a pretty good rate. Uh, if I pay 500 extra per month, I could be done in 15 years. Should I do that or invest the extra in a Roth IRA. The mortgage amount is uh, $220,000. I have a 401k that I maxed out, but I'm still deciding if I should invest more into retirement or pay off the house quicker. Some of you CFPs, Jennifer, <laughs> Jared, how do you help it? Well, I mean, the, I think one of the biggest things you have to do is if you're looking at um, his mortgage rate is 3.625%, but that's not the effective rate that he pays because he gets a tax deduction right. on that. Um, so you're looking at, you know, that reduces that right. down. So maybe his effective rate, his, yeah, yeah, yeah. but let's rate, just right? for sake of argument say his, now his effective rate is 3. Okay. Okay, yeah. so he's he's got an effective rate of 3%. So the question becomes, does he think that he would earn more in the Roth than mm-hmm. 3%? Yeah, that's his hurdle rate, essentially. That's, you know, yeah, basically that's what it becomes. Yep. And, and I mean, and that's a simplistic way to look at it. Yeah. But we find this a lot with people. You know, I think um, there there's so much of the mentality that, you know, I, that they people do not want to have debt. They want to pay off all of their debt. Right. They want to... You know, when by the time they retire, they want to own their home outright. They don't mm-hmm. want to worry about that. Absolutely. And those can be great goals to have. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we never really recommend that you pay down extra on your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're making sure that you have enough money to continue to pay those mortgage payments, yep. and then it's not tied up in your house, and it's very difficult or can be more difficult mm-hmm. once you've retired and you're, you no longer have an income coming in the door yep. to necessarily get money out of that fixed asset. Right. Yeah. You know, if you don't have, because the banks, which right or wrong, don't look at what your investment totals are. Mm-hmm. They don't care necessarily how much money that you have. They care about how much income you have coming in the door. Sure. So if you don't have a pension and you're not necessarily, maybe you don't have as much in retirement accounts as you do in Mm -hmm. non-retirement accounts, so you don't have a, like a mandatory withdrawal that you're receiving each year, then you, it may be more difficult for you to get money out of that. Yeah, well, we, you know, and to your point, in, in retirement, which I know Stephen's not there yet, but right. when once you're there, 
that's when you need money the most, right? That's when you need that mm-hmm. income. And for it to be so difficult to get it out, either through doing a, a cash-out refinance or having to sell the home, that's something that can be very difficult. And so you, you're limiting yourself in sinking those dollars into a, a more illiquid asset than, say, for example, Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble. There, right. there are markets for those companies if you own them through stocks. And, and so, you know, to Stephen's question, I, I think that, Stephen, while that would not be a a bad goal to have, I mean, certainly putting money into the houses is uh, a a good goal. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. However, from a a mathematical standpoint, from a total return standpoint, I think in the long run you would find that investing it into the Roth and potentially making those dollars tax-exempt while also having a tax-exempt return on those dollars and also giving you a way once you do reach retirement to have access to those dollars uh, without them being in your home or in a, a more illiquid, tangible asset like that, uh, you're going to find that you'll be better off in having that diversity in uh, the tax status of your dollars. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you want tax-deferred dollars like what's in your 401. You want taxable dollars like what might be in a brokerage, and you want tax-exempt money as well. But real estate is also an important part of the portfolio, and if you can have some of the Roth dollars, if you can have, you know, you're going to be building equity over this time in your home and keeping the asset classes and, and, and the tax status of your uh, of your assets diversified, just like you would want your investments, I think that'll be much more advantageous to you once you reach retirement than it would be for you to have one less payment in retirement through your mortgage, because to Jennifer's point, you could easily set aside some dollars to ensure that there are, you know, there's money set aside for you to make those payments because you've got it in an account that's a little more liquid than your house. Well, and let's say that he wants to retire at 60 and um, he, you know, can he takes that $500 a month and he puts it in a Roth IRA and, he, and it grows and it, you know, earns more than the... 3% hurdle rate that we're talking about. Right. Once he turns 60, if he wanted to retire at 60, he could pull the money out of the Roth mm-hmm. and pay off his mortgage yeah. right. and still have extra money left over. <laughs> that's, so, right. that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, obviously everybody's situation is, is different. So uh-huh. this is not specific information. But, Jennifer, to your point, 3%. Uh, is minimal when you look at a long-term return over the S&P right. 500. And we always use the 10-year rule. Uh, if you look at a 10-year rolling return in the S&P 500 going all the way back to 1926, which includes the Great Depression, our most mm-hmm. recent recent recession where we lost 52% in the market, mm-hmm. you include all those dates and we still have a, a 10-year return that's over 10%, 10.4%. Mm-hmm. And the point is, though, the market does rise and fall. If you have adequate resources that you could easily pay the house off, why wouldn't you rather put them uh, in, invest them so that they could work for you, uh, especially if you had, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a nice cushion? Yeah. Uh, you, you should be able to make your wealth increase instead of worrying about paying off a house right. and now you don't yeah. have those uh, you, you can attest to this. I mean, when you can, when you can beat that hurdle rate through a dividend – Right. Absolutely. You know, you don't even have to, because I, I know some of the pushback we would get from a client on this as well. I'd be taking on more risk, though. I don't want to subject those assets to more risk by putting it into a stock. Well, right. I'll use Procter & Gamble as an example because I know they've been around since the 1800s. They've never decreased their dividend even one time. 
if you were going to implement a strategy like this, those are the type of investments you would want to look at because those are going to be the more reliable when it comes to can I achieve regularly, consistently, and particularly over the long term that I don't think would be a problem because of those dividends that have been so consistent. Yeah, uh, we have a whole portfolio of those type stocks. Uh, the the uh, portfolio average dividend yield mm-hmm. is uh, around 3.5%. And uh, last year, I mean, you can't can't expect it out of it every year. But last <laughs> year, we made almost 20% in that particular yeah. portfolio. That it, you can look at it as a proxy. The Dow Jones U.S. Select Dividend Index. You see what that's done. Mm-hmm. You see its uh, its uh, yield dividend yield returns. Uh, they're over three percent. Sure. Well, but you know, again, I'm kind of I know I'm beating a dead horse, so to speak. But if if you were retired and you all of a sudden had a catastrophic event and your your money is all tied up in your home, that could be right. more risky than actually having the money outside. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, as Jarrett's pointed out a couple of times now, we, expect, we, we uh, consider real estate as an illiquid asset. Mm-hmm. You can't immediately turn it into cash at every given instance. Yeah. Now, I hear people, you know, put their house upon the market and sell it in four days, but there's one over in um, West Cobb that I see. Uh, they've been trying to sell, I think it lists on uh, Zillow or one of those mm-hmm. over 200000 They They mm-hmm. can't sell it for 138 uh-huh. and, yeah. and they've tried on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, well, we need to wrap it up real quick. Uh, Jennifer, is the market up or down this week? I'm going to say up. How about that? Gal yeah. after my own heart. After that 20000 i got to say it's going up from going here. Going up. Yeah, it, uh, it continued. Well, listen to us next week. We'll see who was right. Y'all take care. You're listening to Money Talks. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.